You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11 today. We're going to look at uh, verses 11 through 24, which is a bit of a large chunk of Scripture, but I think they belong together, and um, we'll have the uh, Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. So we've got a kind of a tall task before us, but we'll uh, just jump in and look at the text. Romans 11. Amen. Romans 11, beginning in verse 11. So I asked, did they stumble, speaking of the Israelites, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree. Let's pray together. Lord, as always, we, we seek your help. We know that your word is, is spiritually discerned, Lord, and so we pray in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to have ears to hear and uh, minds that would understand as, as much as you intend for us to understand, and, and then a, a will that, that seeks to obey you, Lord, and respond. And so we pray for these works, Lord, and more in our hearts today. And I pray that you would use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and 
I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are closing in on the end of this section in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. And uh, Paul has been dealing with the difficult question that's among, on the minds of the church there in Rome, the Christians there in Rome. Why are the Jews, by and large, rejecting the gospel? In the beginning of chapter 9, he, he says, is it because God's word has failed? And uh, the answer to that was by no means. God's promise has not failed Israel. And, and the explanation Paul gives there in chapter 9 and 10 is that this has been a mixture of the sovereignty of God and salvation, uh, God having mercy on whom he will have mercy, but then also the responsibility of Israel to repent of their unbelief and to trust Christ. And uh, last week, we looked at verses 1 through 10 of chapter 11, and Paul talked about this hardening that has come on Israel. You remember it? Look at verse 8. It says, God gave them a spirit. God gave it to them, a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. But then you notice the next verse in verse 10, or not the next verse, but down in verse 10, he talks about how Israel has stumbled over Christ. He's been a stumbling block to them and, and to receive him by faith as they should. It's, it's human responsibility. It's in their hands. Now, the question Paul raises in verse 11 is, did they stumble in order that they might fall? And I think the, the, the implication there, I forgot which version, one, one of your versions, if you're using something different, may have uh, something that, that implies fall beyond recovery. The question he's asking there is, is it, is it over for the Israelites? Are we to hear about this hardening that's come upon them, and are we to conclude um, that, that it's over with for them, uh, these folks whom God has made great promises to in the Old Testament? To which, surprisingly, Paul again replies, by no means is it over for them. And this is the theme of what he's been answering here in Romans 11. This might be a helpful statement to write down. I don't know if it made it on the, the screen or not. Um, oh, there it is. That, that may help to think about what we're reading here uh, in chapter 11. That, that is the rejection or the hardening, it's both, right, of Israel, was neither total nor final. It's neither total nor final. The first 10 verses that we talked about last week um, where it's not this rejection, this hardening is not total because, why? Because God has a remnant. He's always promised to have a remnant of his people. It's not a total rejection. It's not a total hardening. There's always a remnant, he said. And then that second part, final, it's not final. That's the subject of what he's talking about here because God promises a, a recovery of the Israelites in the future. So you've got this Israelite remnant that's in the present and an Israelite recovery that is in the future. And that's what Paul is seeking to explain to us in this text. Now there's a lot of places here uh, that we could spend a great deal of time, a lot of time, a lot of debate about, lots of places we could get bogged down for weeks uh, talking about, and I know that you have Sunday school that you want to go to today, I presume, amen? And then a chili supper later uh, that you'd like to make. So um, I'm going to try to keep the big picture uh, in mind as we look at this and, and kind of get a sense of what Paul is saying. Just a couple of headings, the first part there, the, the purpose of Israel's hardening. 
the purpose of it. That's what Paul explains in verses 11 through 16, and I think he gives three of them to us, but let's look at verse 11 and 12. He says, so I ask, did they stumble, did the Israelites stumble in order that they might fall, and again, fall beyond recovery? By no means, he says, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, if we can grasp these couple of verses, we'll have a big head start on what in the world Paul is talking about for the rest of these uh, verses. Um, the, The purpose is he gives three of them here for God's hardening of Israel. First, he mentions the salvation of the Gentiles. Right? Verse 11, rather through there, the Israelites trespass, their rejection, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Uh, We've referenced this in Acts a few times because we see it so vividly played out. Acts chapter 13, verse 46 is one example. It says, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, speaking to the Jews, but since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the the Gentiles, right? So we see that pattern. The gospel first offered to the Jews, they rejected it, and Paul is simply saying that through their rejection, this wonderful thing happened. We've taken the gospel to the Gentiles. It's opened the door for the Gentiles to come in. And then the Lord told us this, and uh, Jesus did several places in the gospel. I think about Luke 14, uh, Jesus' parable, the great banquet. Remember that? He's speaking uh, there to the Jews. He's inviting them to come into his banquet, and they're saying they're not coming into his banquet. They're unwilling to put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. They rejected his invitation. What does Jesus say? He says, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be full. Go and tell the Gentiles, invite them to come into. And so as sad as the rejection of the gospel is by the Jews, Paul says it has opened the door for the Gentiles to hear the gospel and come in. And we are obviously very thankful for that. Amen? You are Gentiles, right? Notice second purpose, he says, of the Jews hardening. It was a provocation of of the Jews. It was to provoke them Verse 11, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. As God began to save Gentiles and pour out his blessings on them, uh, the Israelites became jealous. So this is Acts 13 again, uh, verse 45, one verse before what I just read. Um, It says, but when the Jews saw the crowds... They were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And we see that pattern uh, again played out in Acts. The Jews were jealous of Paul. They were jealous of, of the impact that Paul's, the gospel he was preaching was having on the Gentile people. They, they saw these crowds. They saw the Gentiles becoming believers. Uh, they saw the joy that they had in receiving the gospel, receiving the word of God. They saw the joy that they shared in fellowshipping with one another, the joy of having been forgiven and saved, the peace that comes from the spirit living in them. They saw all of those things and they were jealous of it. 
I've mentioned to you before, I think this may have been instrumental uh, in leading Paul himself to Christ um, because he talked about in chapter 7 of Romans about that, the effect that the law of coveting, thou shalt not covet, had on Paul's life, how it had crushed him. And I, I think there, there's reason to believe that Paul was envious of what he was seeing in other Christians. You, you remember the stoning of Stephen there in Acts chapter 7 and the remarkable way in which Stephen handled that stoning. I mean, anyone who was there, it would have left a mark on you. He's preaching. He's proclaiming the gospel. They start to stone him, and this, he has this peace of God in the midst of them. He's looking up to heaven. He's seeing the glory of God uh, in, in, this, in, in the midst of a horrible death. He's giving this incredible testimony. And you remember, they laid the garments of Stephen at whose feet? You remember? At Paul or Saul at that time. And so I think it had a profound effect on Paul. Perhaps we're speculating, what in the world did Stephen have that Paul didn't have in all of his religion, in all of his learning, in all of his knowledge about Judaism? And to see this man who was so full of life and assurance of salvation and peace and joy, and perhaps Paul began to covet these very blessings. And of course, it's the very next chapter in Acts where Paul meets Christ on the Damascus Road. Whether that's, that's true or not, we'll have to ask Paul when we get to heaven but it sure seems that it could have been that way. But the point is that the salvation of the Gentiles was having this effect on the Jews. It's provoking them uh, to envy, to jealousy, to, to, for salvation. Notice a third person, a third purpose he mentions, blessings for the world. Verse 12, now, if their riches, if their trespass, Again, rejection of the gospel means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion be? Now, now follow Paul's logic here, because he's saying if, if this disaster, which in his, and it was a disaster of, of the Jews' rejection of the Messiah, if it has led to these blessings for the Gentiles coming into faith, these amazing blessings of knowing Christ. He's saying if their rejection has led to that, can you imagine, possibly imagine, what if they, the Israelites came to Christ and embraced Him? Can you imagine what riches or blessings might come if they did respond to Christ in salvation? He essentially says the same thing in verse 15. He says it a little differently, but you'll see the same language. For, he says, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? But life from the dead. And it's one of the first hints that we get. And again, it's a glimpse, it's a hint. When I, don't, I don't think we fully understand all that's going on here. But, but the, the, this hardening of Israel that he's been talking about apparently is not going to be permanent or final. That whatever is going on in their hardening, it's, it's, it's not going to be permanent. If their rejection has led to salvation for scores of Gentiles, Paul says, can you imagine the blessings that would come if they believed? And, and whatever Paul means, there's a, a lot of debate about what he means by life from the dead. He's certainly, at least at a minimum, concluding that, that it would be something amazing. It would be something surprising, something notable, uh, something incredible if the Jews were to come to Christ. I tend to think of Ezekiel 37 when I read that, where you may remember the prophet there encounters that valley of dry bones 
And God comes to Ezekiel and says to him, can these bones live? And, and God tells Ezekiel to preach to the bones. And, and, and the bones, they come together and joints you unite these bones and muscles appear and then flesh and then the breath of the Lord breathes into the new life into them and they lived. Here's what the prophet says, Ezekiel 37. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, that they're saying this, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we're indeed cut off. That's the same thing kind of Paul's been asking. Is it over for them? But he says, therefore, he tells Ezekiel, prophesy, preach, and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. Verse 14, I'll put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. It's a great promise. It, it may be one of the most glorious and amazing things that could happen in history. And so whether Paul is thinking here of something like what Ezekiel is saying or whether he is just thinking about the resurrection that's going to happen when Christ comes back, the resurrection from the dead, someday we'll know for sure what he means. Amen. But for now, we just know it's going to be something spectacular and great. It's something Paul believed hadn't happened yet but was going to happen that, that, that at least there's going to be some kind of a grouping, a larger number of Israelites that are going to be brought to faith in Jesus Christ in the future. Verse 16 is difficult to translate. It's another thorny one, but it, it says, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. I, I think, to keep it simple, I think it means something that, that the faithful remnant that he talked about there in verses 1 through 10, that faithful remnant should be seen as kind of the first fruits of a greater harvest that's going to come. And that's what Paul is, is talking about here. There's an investment being made through Paul's ministry um, that will bear fruit in some future occasion. And so make no mistake, this is what's driving Paul. And we see that. We skipped over verses 13 and 14. But this is what dri is driving Paul's ministry. He says, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. But you see this vision of his kinsman coming to Christ is very much in his, his mind. Verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So, so Paul here is talking to the Gentiles, he's speaking to us Gentiles. He wants us to know that, that God has not given up on his uh, ancient people, the Israelites, and neither should they give up on them. And his ministry to them in Rome is a part of this plan, even to make some of the, his fellow Jews uh, jealous or envious of the blessings that we have in Christ. Now, if we pause and we think about some application here just uh, for a moment, there's kind of an implicit challenge there, I think, to them and to us as we, as we read this. Um, are we striving to be the kind of people or church that, that makes the lost envious of the salvation that we have in Christ. If Paul is saying this is a part of his goal in his ministry, 
That's, a, I think, again, an implicit challenge uh, for us to be thinking about that when that the part of our witness, maybe the main part of our witness, is that folks, when they look at, look at us and they see us and they think of us, do they see Christ in us? Are they envious of what they see? Is, is there, a, is there a, a goodness and a peace, a joy, and a love in our fellowship that causes people to stop and wonder what we have? What do those folks have that I don't have? Are they hearing a clear message from God's Word? Do they see patterns in our lives? Do they see patterns of, of, of joy in us from the way that we live our lives, from how we make our decisions, how we handle adversity and stress and, and strife, uh, how we relate to one another, how we love one another, care for one another? Do they see in our family something different? They see a, a firm foundation about which we are living and, and, and raising our children and our grandchildren. Do, do, do our lives, does our church make the lost envious of the Christ that we have? Or do they see in us what they see in the world? I think we should give thought and prayer to this in our own lives and in our church. Notice secondly, though, a heading, he says, it's a warning, a warning concerning the Gentiles' uh, presumption or their pride, if you will. And that's the subject of verses 17 through 24. And again, we'll, we'll try to keep it as simple as we can. I think Paul could have skipped this paragraph and went straight down to verse 25. Because in verse 25, he's going to talk more about this glorious future, what this plan for Israel in the future. But he pauses to give us a warning. And so he adds this paragraph in there of a warning, verses 17 through 24, and he puts it in the form of a, of a metaphor of an olive tree. Verse 17, he says, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the tree, here's the warning, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. I think the olive tree here is a, a metaphor to, uh, to, for the people of God in general. And uh, he's reminding us that it has experienced both a pruning and a grafting. Some branches have been cut off, he says, and others grafted in. Uh, the, the branches that have been cut off are referring, I think, to the Jews who have been hardened in their unbelief. That's been the subject, that hardening, that rejection. But in, in their place, he says, a wild shoot. I guess you've probably never considered yourself as a Gentile as a wild shoot. But that's what Paul says that we are. We've been grafted in. So this is Gentiles who have believed and been welcomed into the covenant people of God. Paul warns the Gentiles in this picture. He says, don't be arrogant toward those branches that have been cut off. These Jews who are hardening themselves. That's his warning. So here's the church in Rome. There was this fellowship made up of wild and uh, cultivated branches that have all been grafted in, he says. And, and he says to the wild branches, the Gentiles, don't get too full of yourselves. 
Don't start thinking that, oh, you must be better because you've received Christ and they haven't. Don't, don't start thinking more of yourself. You were outsiders, he reminds us. You were just a, you were a wild, you're, you're no better off than weeds, but you've been grafted in. And, and notice, he points them to several things. We'll move through these quickly. Don't be nervous. First, he says, uh, remember your roots. Remember your roots. This is how do you battle that pride, that presumption. He says, verse 18, that second part, if you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. And he's already spoken earlier about the root and in terms of the patriarchs that have gone before includes, I think, also the idea of God's, again, his gracious choosing, his gracious election. And, and he's saying any boasting by Gentiles is misplaced. You are saved only because God had mercy on you. Not because you're better than these Jewish folks. And so he's saying there's no reason to boast except in the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. Remember your roots. Remember it is all of grace that you are saved, not you. And secondly, he reminds them to tend to their faith. Verse 19, he says, then you will say this. Here's a quote. Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. He says, well, that's true. But they rejected, right? And, and, and their unbelief so that the gospel went to, to the Gentiles, to us. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you, he says, stand fast through faith. Through faith. It's true, he says. God planned in his salvation history. This is a part of his plan to be such a way that the Israelites would be hardened so that Gentile believers would come into salvation. That is a... Uh, but he's saying that's not a sign some way of your superiority. That's not a sign because you're great that he did that. The Jews were cut off for their unbelief. The Jews were included only by means of faith. And so he's saying, don't act like you've done something to merit this salvation. He's warning us, don't be arrogant about this. It is by grace through faith, and you need to be focusing on tending to your faith. Nurturing that faith, strengthening that faith through God's Word, standing fast in that faith. Why? It's the third thing he says, that we should cultivate healthy fear. Verse 20, so do not become proud, but fear. Fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. This is uh, an important Warning, incredible warning. He's saying that there, I think, if the Jews who had all of these privileges and the Old Testament, all of this history, the patriarchs and so forth, if they fell prey to unbelief, if they weren't spared judgment, what makes you think he'll spare you? Who, who are you to presume upon this faith, he's saying? Who are you to take this for granted? Who are you to think that you're something? To live any way that you want to live and claim that you, that you have this faith, that you're a part of the people of God. You see his warning there against presumption? 
You say, oh, wait a minute. Wait, well, you know, I, I made a decision a, whole, a long time ago. You know, I, I'm sure the church has a record of my membership somewhere. You know, I, I walked an aisle. I got baptized. I, I've got a certificate. Here's my, here's my certificate. I, I've done this. And, and, and I can tell you the date and the time. And, and you know what it says, that once saved, always saved. That is very true, provided you are really saved. He's saying don't presume on this. The evidence that you were saved is not a membership or a certificate. You understand that, right? It's a changed heart. It's a changed life. And it's definitely in this context, it's not a life that is proud and arrogant and presumptuous that you're really something because you're a Christian. This is a heart that has been humbled, who understands that if it were not of the mercy of grace of God, that you would be lost in your sin. And, and such leads to a heart of reverence, and it leads to a, 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 a spirit of fear and awe before God. Not presuming, but living in eternal gratitude. Does that characterize you? Are you cultivating such humility and fear? Paul fourth challenges them and us to meditate on the character of God. Verse 22, he says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. What's he saying? He's saying, you think deeply about the kindness and the severity of God, the character of God. Note that the severity of His judgment, he says, towards those who are unbelieving, that God is angry with the religious unbeliever, the Jew. And he's saying how easy it would be for a Gentile Christian to fall into the same path. Once again, to start thinking that you're here because of your good works and that you've merited this and you've entitled to this. He's saying, beware of presuming upon God. The moment that you think, I no longer need His kindness, I can do this on my own, I deserve to be a part of his people is the moment that we move away from grace and towards pride. Note his severity in that. Note, secondly, he says his kindness towards those who believe. The kindness of God towards you is that he saved you by his grace, isn't it? You're grafted in it's only by your grace that you're part of the olive tree, the people of God. It's only by His kindness. And He says, continue in that. The Christian life really is, it consists of, over and over again, I think of our relationship, of a kind God who's leading us sinners to repentance every day of our lives. Because it keeps giving, getting us grace over and over again. He says, keep reminding yourself in that. Persevere in faith because of this. And, and, and hear the warning there, he says, otherwise you too will be cut off. I, I don't, he's not saying there that you can lose your salvation in some way, but again, he's reminding us you ought not to presume. You ought not to presume and take it for granted. Verses 23 and 24 he reminds us not to give up on religious unbelievers like the Jews. He says, and even they, 
the Israelites, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? What's he saying? He's just saying if grace can bring folks like us Gentiles, and let's be honest, we're wild olive shoots, whether we want to admit it or not, if grace can bring us into the people of God, then certainly grace can bring hardened Jews into the people of God. And again, you notice here the combination of divine sovereignty and human responsibility all over again throughout this passage. How will these hard-hearted Jews be saved? Please note this. They're going to be saved the same way that you and I were saved by being grafted in by faith, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, even they, he says, if they do not continue in their unbelief, that is, they believe. This is not some special side door plan that God is working in uh, for the salvation of the Jews. It's not taught there. Paul is, Paul is saying this is one and the same route. There is one uh, and the same olive tree, there is one way of salvation. There is one in the same Savior. There is one in the same faith in Him. And if they believe and turn away from their unbelief, they will be saved. And here's why, because God has the power to graft them in again. It's a hopeful picture, isn't it? Because you remember back in chapter 9 at the beginning, in chapter 10 at the beginning, Paul is feeling this burden, this agony, this grief over Israel's lostness. And here in some picture we don't fully understand, he's saying that God is not finished with them yet. And God is not finished with you and me yet. This is good news. We shouldn't write off hard-hearted people around us. Amen? Because God can break in and save anyone. We never give up on people. We should never stop praying for the lost. Never stop proclaiming the gospel to them. Because God has the power to save. He saves by bringing sinners to faith in Jesus Christ. That same gospel was preached this morning. For though anyone who is here that is lost, we hope that you hear this, that you will believe the gospel and trust in Jesus Christ, that you will know that the door of his grace stands open and the promise of the Bible is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you must repent and believe. And for those of us who are, we... Hear this, we commit ourselves today once again with Paul to living out this gospel message and, and, and hopefully in such ways that, that people will be envious of the Christ that is in us, right? That they'll see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. And, and hopefully that they will come, as Paul says, we might be able to save some. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Lord, we thank you for this uh, word from Paul. It's, it's not easy. We've, we've, I hope, Father, that we've, I trust that we've done our best to understand it. And Lord, we pray that you would apply these truths to our hearts now.
and especially those who may not know you today as their Lord and Savior. And uh, so as we have this time of response, we pray that you would lead it, lead our hearts as uh, we prepare to take part in the Lord's Supper together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.